the views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the Real News Communications Network. Welcome to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, where America's top cleaning expert shows you the ins and outs of keeping a clean home and a clean business. From expert advice to cutting-edge interviews, Debbie uses her 30 years experience to bring you the insight you need to be cleaning up. And now, here's your host, Debbie Sardone. Welcome to Episode 6 of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. We meet each week to talk about cleaning up your business and your life while expert guests provide sound advice and sage wisdom. Now, stay with us as we have a very special treat in store for you today. My expert guest was a favorite contestant on a hit reality show, and he was definitely my favorite. And we'll be talking about creating showtime in your business. Now, first, in our Go Get Her segment, how do you recover? from a major blooper speaking of showtimes how do you get back up when you fall down in a big way and especially when it's in public we've all had those times when we've fallen flat on our face we thought we were about to put our best show out there and instead we delivered a dud who hasn't done that (laughs) what do you do how do you recover years ago this tells you a little bit about me but years ago I remembered four minutes before a webinar that I was, in fact, the featured speaker for that webinar. (laughs) My first inclination was to apologize and cancel the webinar. And then I thought about maybe the host. I could maybe text her or call her real quick and ask her if there's any way she could do the broadcast. I mean, there were all kinds of things that were going through my head, but I only had like now three and a half minutes to make a decision. I knew both scenarios would really make me look bad and hurt my reputation and, of course, hurt the show host. So I scribbled seven bullet points on a sheet of paper, scurried to find the dial-in webinar telephone number, and I dialed in to the show. While the host was making the greetings and the welcomes and the announcement, I'm adding a few additional notes to my seven little bullet points. The audience had no idea. I was completely unprepared. I could have fallen flat on my face. What surprised me the most is at the end of the webinar, I was really pleased with my, air quotes, performance. My delivery was both smooth and less rehearsed. Duh. (laughs) There had been no rehearsal on this performance. My talking points were clear and concise. And the best part, several callers commented that the webinar had been the most helpful of the entire series so far. If I had canceled because I was too proud to risk maybe laying an egg and not putting forth my very best performance, if I had canceled, a much different perception would have been created about me and my dependability and my skill set. I learned a lesson that day. (laughs) Of course, I learned several lessons that day, some of which I don't ever want to repeat, but I learned that day that the show must go on. Now, obviously, there is a time and a place to reschedule or to back up and do over. But usually, in life and business, there are very few opportunities to postpone the show. 
when it's showtime, baby, you have to get on that stage. I do a lot of live TV interviews, and there is no backing it up and editing out button when you're live on the television. You just have to go with the flow. If you mess up, you have to keep going. I remember one time being a guest on a live program. It was radio, and I was invited to speak about my nonprofit, Cleaning for a Reason, and how we help women battling cancer receive free house cleaning services during this very difficult time of their life. I mean, I'd been through those talking points hundreds of times, and I was ready. The show host counted down to going live, three, two, one, and immediately she introduced me as an organizing expert and began to ask me for tips on organizing the home. I could feel my face turning red, <laughs> and for a split second, it actually crossed my mind to correct the host and let her know, well, actually, I'm America's top cleaning expert, and cleaning and organizing are really two different things. But also in a split second, I realized that would be stupid. <laughs> Number one, you don't correct on live uh, radio or TV the host. You just go with it. And instead, I very quickly pulled together some answers that, you know, tied closely to cleaning and helped her uh, with her question regarding organizing the home and getting things presentable. And I just went with it. I didn't correct her. I didn't say, well, my expertise is cleaning, not organizing. I just kept going. I answered her questions, and she seemed pretty happy, and then quickly moved on to talk about what I was there to talk about, and that was my nonprofit and how our organization helps women. And it really went well. It was very smooth, and I felt comfortable, and she clearly was happy. After the show, the host said, that was so great. That was such a great segment. I mean, she was just going on and on about how happy she was. And she said, oh, you're such a natural. You're such a natural guest. And during the commercial break, the, the co-host, who was sitting there as well, revealed that she had been a customer of our speed cleaning products and how for years she had used our red juice and our blue juice and how much she loved them. And she was shocked to find out that we'd moved the company from California to Dallas, Texas area, Louisville to be exact. And she said, I'm gonna drive out there today and pick up some products because I'm out of my two favorite products. Okay, another lesson was learned that day. <laughs> the show must go on. And if you stay calm and if you know your stuff, there is always a way to bring the topic back around to your expertise. You don't have to correct the host. You don't have to start down the path of a negative conversation. You can just gently guide and redirect the conversation to be about what you know. So in any situation, if you're put on the spot, and you're asked a question about something you really don't know anything about. Now, sometimes it is appropriate to simply say, you know, I have no clue. But most of the time, you're able to shift the direction of the conversation to be exactly in your comfort zone, to talk exactly about what your expertise is and how you can add value and benefit to that conversation. And especially on live TV or live radio. Now, if it's pre-recorded, oftentimes, especially if the host is, kind of, you have a good relationship with them, if it's pre-recorded, you can say, could we back that section up 
and maybe rephrase that question in a way that I can answer it better for your listeners or your viewers. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But what you don't want to do is offend the people who have given you the opportunity by correcting them and not being able to shift your gears. And I think that's the most important point here. Sometimes we just have to shift gears. Yes, it would have been better for me. Yes, it would have put me in a better uh, spotlight to be able to highlight that I'm America's top cleaning expert. That's what I want. But what did the host want? She wanted to talk about organizing <laughs> and how organizing can improve your life. And I was there to make her look good. I wasn't there to make me look good. And sometimes we forget that. When you spend your time and your energy being focused on looking your best and being the smartest in the room, being the brightest, being the most knowledgeable, you can oftentimes forget why you're there. And sometimes you're literally there to make the other person look good. So sometimes the lesson we need to learn in advance before we blow it is the show must go on. You stay calm. You remember what you really know. You find a way to get back on track with your expertise and you just keep going. Now coming up, don't go away. I am delighted to have Chef Ben Starr with us today. He was a Master Chef Season 2 finalist and one of my favorite contestants of all time. And he's sharing show highlights and insights. So don't touch that dial. Stay right here on Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. But it must be moving on. More of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safer on pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. One in five children in America go to school hungry every day. I'm Viola Davis. I was one of those children. I was one of the nearly 17 million kids who worry where their next meal will come from. Join me with the Safeway Foundation and the Entertainment Industry Foundation to help us end childhood hunger Help undo hunger for America's children. Go to hungeris.org to learn more. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Welcome back to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Tell us what you think on our Facebook page and learn more about our guests after the show. Today, we have a very special guest with us in studio, and I'll have to say I've been starstruck ever since he was a finalist on season two of Master Chef with Gordon Ramsay. Now, many of you know I do business consulting and training, and oftentimes I'll have cleaning business owners from around the country and some of them around the world 
come to my office for a field trip day and they will shadow my staff they'll see all the inner secret workings of a successful maid service and they will pay quite a bit of money to come and make this trip so that they can improve their own business just by getting an insider's look at a successful operation and one of the things that I always say to my office staff before our cleaning business owner guests arrive uh, is, okay, everybody, it's showtime. And everyone knows what that means in our office. It doesn't mean we're putting on a dog and pony show. It simply means we're putting our best foot forward. We are there to create value, to deliver content in an entertaining and an inspiring way so that those business owners leave not only with good information that they can take back and implement but they leave having enjoyed the overall experience and leave feeling inspired to go out and do more and reach greater levels of success it's when you give people more than what they paid for that that showtime experience is when you deliver what they really didn't expect and no one does this better than you ben star <laughs> <laughs> so you're more than just a great chef you have showmanship and uh you deliver a great experience so tell me a little bit about your approach to food and entertainment and how all that ties together well you know thanks debbie it's really nice to be here you know how much i regard you with a high esteem and uh, it's an honor to be here uh it's funny to hear you say your it's showtime line that you do at your office because at our restaurant Every night that we open, just before the guests arrive, all of our staff gets together for a staff shot, kind of a morale-building thing, and we have a toast together, and then we always say, good show, everyone, good show. And while we are a restaurant, we always refer to our dining guests as the audience, because we really do craft the whole evening of dinner as an entertaining and educational experience rather than just another dinner. You know, everyone in the country, if you consider yourself part of the foodie movement, we're dined out, right? We've, we've dined at every new restaurant. Every time we go, we're expecting something new and bigger and better. But there's only so far that a menu itself can go to impress you. You kind of have to venture into this realm of entertainment and showmanship if you're going to give somebody a dining experience that they're going to remember for months and years to come. And it can't be rehearsed. It can't be fake. No, absolutely not. There's there's nothing worse than watching somebody that's affected or trying to force something, right? So it's got to come genuinely from within. And I think that's where passion plays an important role. Because if you're really passionate about what you're doing and the experience that you're crafting, your excitement and ambition and showmanship really does ring true as being something that's authentic. Passion is contagious. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I feel that passion whenever I get around you. I want to eat your food. I want to hear about your <laughs> ventures. I want to hear about where you sourced it, as you like to say. Yeah. I feel your passion. Yeah. You have to follow your passion. If you really do follow your passion from a, from a selfless place of gratitude, you're going to find success if you work hard. Well, obviously, you've got passion. You've got an incredible skill as a chef. It takes more than just passion and excitement. You got to know your craft. Right. You've got to be the expert. But Obviously, nowadays, there's chefs on every corner. There's people claiming to be expert chefs. How do you stand out in this crowded market? How do you get noticed? Well, uh, <laughs> that's definitely the, the $10 million question that everyone's asking. 
the way we did it is uh, we started small and we stayed small and we created scarcity. We have a table that I built that only seats 20 people and we're not open every night. So you have to plan ahead to be able to come to our restaurant. In fact, you actually have to be invited and then you have to win a lottery to be selected because we've got 7,000 people trying to get in for 20 seats. So I think from the beginning, because we, we crafted this situation of scarcity, it's really hard to get in here. You have to work to get in here. We have to know that you want to come to this restaurant in order to invite you to, to take one of our precious 20 seats. That makes everybody want to do it. So whereas a new restaurant opens up from a famous Dallas chef, you might not get in the first night or you might have to stand there and wait for a couple hours or you might have to book a reservation a week in advance. But when you craft so much scarcity that you may be, once you find out about it, you may be lucky to get in a year or a year and a half later, only the people that are really, really gung-ho about doing that are going to be the ones left over at the end of that waiting process. And as well, they have the passion to get into it, just like you have the passion to create it. And so it just, it, it fosters this excitement that continues to survive. And I love the fact that you described it like the lottery system, because when you get your invitation to come to Frank Underground, you feel like you've won the lottery. I know when we got our <laughs> invitation that said, you got in, yes. there was no way we were going to let some other occasion or event take our spot. We have some people that we've, we've heard lots of great stories about when people found out they won the lottery. One of our diners was in a board meeting in Dubai, a very high profile board meeting and he got the email through on his phone and he just dropped the phone and stood up and started screaming saying I won the lottery I won the lottery and people thought he meant the lottery and in fact he had <laughs> won the lottery great. to come dine at Frank and he came home from his business trip early so that he could dine with his wife and you know it really is kind of winning the lottery because it's more than just a dining experience it, I mean people go there and they connect it really is you know it's a three hour long dinner with only 20 people the table I built intentionally small so you're shoulder to shoulder and you can almost touch the person's nose that's sitting across the table from you. And so we've deliberately put people in this situation where they will become as much an important part of the entertainment aspect of the evening as the food or as I am when I'm out narrating the courses and explaining things. So when you, when you craft this kind of perfect storm of uh, social experiment where people are pulled out of their comfort zone and they're, they're being basically forced to interact and get to know each other, over a plate of wonderful food and delicious wine, that really does foster this kind of age-old ritual that humans have of breaking bread together and how that allows us to connect with each other. And of course, delicious wine always is the always. icing on the cake. We <laughs> all love a good glass of red wine. Yeah. And I've been to your dinners. It's not just one glass. We have oh, no. plenty. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't sting on the pairings at all. Well, you know, that kind of answers this question, but you could uh, develop it a little bit more about how so many business owners struggle these days because they're trying to compete on price. And quite honestly, uh, unless you're either the various, very cheapest in town, what is the point in competing on price? Because when you come up second, you really never win. And there's Groupons and coupons and cheaper this and cheaper that. And you stay competitive simply by being premiere. Sure. Well, you know, all of us, I think from, from the top out of sight, wealthiest, uh, to the, to the poorest of society, we always want a bargain. It doesn't matter who we are. And so there are plenty of, I, you know, I use coupons all the time, but when I'm searching for a specific type of experience that I'm willing to spend the money on, to me, the price is not as much of a factor. So what we try to do is, you know, we're not only marketing to the top out of sight, wealthiest 
portions of society. We have a suggested donation. You can pay whatever you want or nothing at all when you come to dine with us because we want it to be accessible by everybody. But we know that people are coming to our restaurant because they want to have one of the most intriguing and fun dining experiences of their entire life. And for them, that's not something that they need to worry about pinching pennies on. So we specifically give our suggested donation at a higher level because that allows us the flexibility to work with the ingredients we want to and things like that. And it really does all come out in the wash. There are people who dine with us that say, this should cost four times what it costs. And then we have people that say, I've been saving up for a year so I could come and eat here. Wow. And so I really just, I think if you're crafting something that's really just one of a kind, if your experience is so unique and different from everyone else in your industry, the people are going to come regardless of your price tag. And people will treat you like a commodity if you act like a commodity. And they will want it cheap if you act cheap. But when you provide something they can't get anywhere else, right? that's what they want. Right? They'll pay for it. Absolutely. That is fabulous. I love that because in this day and age where businesses get discouraged and they feel like they cannot charge what they're worth, mm-hmm. they cannot charge what they believe the experience really does warrant, that's inspirational music to their ears that says when you deliver and sure. you create scarcity. Yes, but it's all about the delivery all about the delivery your your product or uh, or service has just got to be incredibly stellar and stand out from everybody else that's doing the same thing that you're doing you got to do it differently and i'm assuming you work your tail off i don't <laughs> think you just run to kroger the morning of frank underground and grab some vegetables and meat no when i leave this studio i'm driving up to four different farms in mckinney to fill up my entire car and take it back to our fridge space so right uh, there's a vast amount of work part of what we do at the restaurant is we craft everything from scratch so if we can make something we're not going to buy it if we can make bacon we're going to get a pork belly from our pig farmer and cure it and make bacon that way rather than going and buying bacon at costco uh, we make our pasta in many cases we make our beers and our wines and and, uh, and we always make the butter you know, so we're doing things, again, pretty differently than the average restaurant is because they have to feed three to 400 people in a night, and we only have to feed 20 people a few times a month. So we have the luxury of being able to do things differently, and that means making our bacon, making our wine, et cetera. Exactly. So really, coming out on top, being number one, having a business that people envy, having a service or a product that people want and will pay whatever it's mm-hmm. worth you know, no matter what, it kind of is backed up by extreme hard work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there is, a, and everybody on our team, we have a team of six people that run this experience for 20 people a night. Everybody works their fingers to the bone. We are exhausted by the time we've finished a two-week run. Yeah, Just I know better than dead. to text you and ask you <laughs> questions during Frank Underground weekend because there's like no no getting answers. All my friends, please listen to what Debbie just said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no more text, no more text. <laughs> Although I may be inclined to text you, I just know you're not going to be able to answer. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of wrapping up this this last question, if you will, um, you know, obviously you're a smart guy and you're very creative, but how on earth do you come up with new ideas and fresh ideas? I mean, when I look at what you're tasked with, I just think of, okay, menus and food. What else? I mean, how do you stay creative and get inspired? Well, you know, we've got a big team and everybody's bursting with ideas, but we try to think outside the box. You know, a lot of chefs, when they're thinking about a menu, will think, oh, what do I have available seasonally to me? Or what kind of food do we typically eat during this time of year? 
but we'll take inspiration from a movie. You know, we did The Godfather. We watched The Godfather all together and noticed the types of foods they were eating and the colors and the different flavors and the lines, and we crafted a menu around that film. We've done a menu called Side A, where each course was inspired by a song. There's no shortage of songs that have been written out there, and if each song can inspire a course, you know, we have a, a limitless source of inspiration, and we try to think outside the box beyond just our ingredients. Let's think about other things that inspire us in our life and then allow that to bleed over into the inspiration for our menus. Wow. Well, you're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, and my guest is Chef Ben Starr. We'll continue this discussion after the break, but if you'd like to join the conversation, please visit our Facebook page, Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone. And if you'd like to be a pal, please rate our show on iTunes. We're looking for some great ratings to help us move to the top of the list. So don't go away. Ben Starr and I will be right back. But I must be moving on. More of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. Be part of the movement that is standing up to cancer and get the new Stand Up to Cancer app for iPhone. Visit the App Store or download by texting STAND to 31826 and tell the world who you stand up for. Message and data rates may apply. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. We're back and we're talking with Ben Starr from Season 2 of Gordon Ramsay's Master Chef. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone and I'm Debbie, your host on the Real News Communications Network. We've been talking about the show must go on and how success in business is about putting on a great show, not just delivering your products or your services well. Anyone can do that. Ben, before we get too technical, tell us a little bit about your experiences on the set of Master Chef and what Gordon Ramsay is really <laughs> like behind well, the scenes. If I had a penny for every time somebody's asked me what Gordon Ramsay's like, I'd, I'd have about $6. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gordon is delightful. Uh, if you watch the majority of his shows where he has his angry, red-faced, expletive-spitting uh, personality, that may be definitely part of who he is inside, especially when he's running his own business. But Gordon is a teddy bear. He is a prankster, and he when the camera turns off, always has the biggest smile on his face. I'm not picturing that. <laughs> oh, no. He is delightful. I have such a soft spot in my heart for Gordon. He's, he's an amazing guy. That's really good yeah, to know. Yeah. You know, you kind of want to know that, that the people you admire on the shows that you watch and follow sure. are actually nice people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a lovely, lovely human. Very cool. So, obviously, that was a very interesting experience. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and a long experience. You mm -hmm. were there for quite a Two while. Months, yeah. Can you give us just a little recap about, you know, just, just in a minute well, or less? Since, since a lot of folks really like watching cooking shows, I'll tell you this, especially with competitive cooking shows, when you see the judges tasting the food, you tend to think they're tasting it fresh out of the pan or out of the oven. But most of the time, because of the way filming is structured, those judges are tasting that plate of food that's been sitting around for two or three hours wow. because they have to take beauty shots of each contestant's food right when it is still fresh. And then judging takes five or six minutes per contestant. So if you're the sixth or tenth contestant, the judges may have been critiquing and tasting food for an hour or two before you even get up there. So it takes a lot of acting on the part of the judges to taste that food and say, ooh, this is delicious when it's been sitting there dying for three hours. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would never know that. <laughs> that is, you know, and you think, my goodness, how do they keep from being full? Yeah. Well, it's because they're eating all day long. Exactly. <laughs> they have time to get hungry in yeah. between takes. Yeah. So looking back at your experience, what would you say was the most valuable lesson you learned there on the set? I would have to say always guard your integrity because not only in the real world, but especially in the microcosm of reality TV, producers are really looking to get you at the edge of your rope to where you will throw your integrity in the trash and just throw someone under the bus colossally. And that's a hallmark of reality TV, right? That's why a lot of people watch it, or at least that's why producers think people watch it, because they love to see people just go off and rail on someone else. The drama. Right. And for me, it was important to even when I was in times of extreme stress or a teammate had made a mistake, it, it was always important for me to retain my integrity when, when producers were questioning about me later in interviews and allow myself to be the focus of my critiques and not my fellow contestants. And I think that has served you well in your after business because you were liked. I, I remember you were my favorite, not because you were from Louisville, Texas, right where my office is located, right. but because you seemed like a genuinely nice person. Right. Well, and it's important. I mean, I was obviously trying to cultivate that type of a personality while I was on the show, but that's what my personality really is like in real life. And so I knew I'm going to be subject to all sorts of engineered stress and, and trauma on this show, but I am going to still try to be myself and in real life I'm I'm not the kind of person to say oh it's her fault we failed because she didn't do her job properly you know when you're in a board meeting and and, a, and, a, and the executives are trying to decide whether you're gonna get fired or a promotion if you're talking more about your own strengths and weaknesses than the weaknesses of your team that shows a level of integrity that says you have the wherewithal to be a leader rather than throwing everyone else under the bus and it's always everybody else's fault. So I really do think if you keep the focus of critique on yourself when you're in those type of evaluations, you really do rise above the pack and people see that you have integrity and, and you're worthy of trust and responsibility. And leaders are people who others follow. And clearly you didn't have this short-term mindset to make the biggest splash in the moment. You were able to think, what am I going to look like? Who am, how am I going to be thought of long after the show is gone? Sure. Yeah, a lot of people become popular on reality TV shows because they're rude and they say exactly what they think. But how many people would like to go work for that person afterward? And what a great lesson for business owners who aren't in the limelight, who are not, they don't have the spotlight on their lives. But when their integrity sneaks out, in moments mm -hmm. that they weren't prepared for, are they going to be proud of what was shown or are they going to be humiliated or exposed? Sure, exactly. So it's a great lesson. So what advice then would you give maybe an aspiring chef, somebody who wants to go into business, they want to create food and food experiences for a living. What advice can you give that young chef nowadays? Sure. Uh, well, the first thing I would say is always start small. A food truck is way cheaper to start than a restaurant. A restaurant with five tables and a little kitchen is way easier to start than a restaurant with 50 or 200 tables. So start small and think creatively and realize what do you have that you can bring to something that will make it stand out. Um, obviously, we've crafted this very bizarre underground restaurant thing that everybody seems to be wanting to get in, but we still only seat 20 people, and if we're lucky, we'll open eight nights a month. So 
you don't have to follow somebody else's equation to get into the restaurant world. That's why 80% of all restaurants fail. Follow your own equation. Do something that you're excited about and you're passionate about and do it on a small scale. And word's going to spread because passion is contagious. And when you do something on a small scale and it succeeds, then you're in a better position to scale it up. Absolutely. As opposed to starting really big, crashing and burning, and you have absolutely nothing to show for it. And absolutely. maybe devastated financially. Sure. Yeah. Start small. Do private dinners in people's houses. That is fantastic yeah. advice. I love it. And, of course, the way the Internet is nowadays oh, yeah. and social media and the way word can spread very quickly, if you're good and if you can deliver, word will spread. Absolutely which is exactly what's happened with Frank Underground. So, you know, I know there takes there requires a set of skills behind the scenes to really pull off uh, putting together these events where people have, you know, paid a little bit of a premium price mm -hmm. and their expectations are high. Can you tell us a little bit about all that goes into pulling off a successful event? Sure. Well, we always get nervous about people's expectations. We're the highest rated restaurant in the state on Yelp. And Yelp isn't a food critic. Yelp is the community of people who dine and, and they give their own reviews. And we just have, the, we've got over a hundred five-star reviews. That, that, that actually hasn't happened anywhere in the country. And so Yelp is calling us trying to find wow. out what we're doing. And, but that just makes it even more intimidating for us each time we open our doors. You know, how are we going to give these people the experience they're expecting if they've read all of these Yelp reviews? And it really comes down to the fact that we're not just a restaurant. They're not coming in, looking at a menu, deciding what they want, eating and leaving. They're coming into a dinner party with complete strangers. They don't know any of these people when they arrive. Uh, they know all of them by the time we, they leave. We like to say, you know, you'll be best friends on Facebook with everybody at the table by the end of the night. Uh, and then... As we bring out these courses, not only are they from local farms, uh, very carefully crafted, but I'm out there all night long talking to the guests about the farmer that raised this cow. And guess what? We also raised this cow. We knew this cow while it was alive. Now we're feeding it to you. But that means we've taken exceptional care and integrity with that ingredient. And people get to ask questions. And I'm one of those geeks that read encyclopedias as a child rather than watch TV. So I have a sort of encyclopedic kind of knowledge about food. And so people can get all of their questions answered about how they can cook better while they're there. And then, you know, once I finish talking and go back to the back to work on the next course, they're engaged in interesting conversation with each other. We've had people that met at our table that got engaged. We've got folks that met at our table that formed dining clubs and go dine around the Metroplex together. Uh, we've had people that met each other that were neighbors and had never met each other on their street meet at the table and discover that they're neighbors and are now best friends. And so there's just something really magical that can happen when you allow food and entertainment to be the catalyst for a group of strangers and they leave not as a group of strangers by the end of the night. And I think you really nailed it in the beginning of your answer by pointing out that you're not a restaurant. And I think some people probably come expecting kind of a restaurant experience. Absolutely. And they're blown away by the fact that this was not a restaurant experience. Yeah. yeah. This is this is a social experiment that is captivating and engaging and wildly fun with tons of wine. And I can testi <laughs> testify to that fact because yes. I have been there and have absolutely loved it. So, so tell us what's next i mean my goodness you have so much going on every time i talk with you you're running here flying there what else is next for ben star well uh on the Frank Horizon, we've got some folks that probably want to turn us into a TV show, but of course they can't talk about that or I'd have to kill you. Okay. Um, <laughs> and in terms of, uh, for me, I've just become very captivated by the artisan whiskey movement, and so you might start seeing 
my handcrafted whiskeys on shelves at some point in the future, but we'll see how that goes. I love that idea, yeah. and I <laughs> can assume you would make a pretty decent whiskey. <laughs> well, I make a pretty good beer, and whiskey's made from beer, so oh, we'll see how that goes. Know. That's good to know. So, obviously, we need to follow Ben Starr, and if you've been Ben Starr struck today, you definitely <laughs> need to keep up with him. Thank you so much, Ben Starr, for being our guest today on Cleaning Up with Debbie Stardone on The Real News communication network if you'd like more information about frank underground about ben Starr, or when and how to catch him on tv just go and like us on facebook look for cleaning up with debbie sardone and let's talk coming up don't go away we'll talk about giving your best performance on the quality of life segment of the show it was an early morning yesterday more of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone is next on the Real News Communications Network. The Center for Animal Research and Education is a nonprofit providing a permanent home to over 50 abused and abandoned big cats in DFW. Come out for a tour and meet our amazing lions, tigers, and leopards. For more information, go to carerescuetexas.com. Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safe around pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. To catch every single episode, you can now find us on iTunes, and we'd love for you to rate our show to help put us on the top of the list so others can find us too. Visit our Facebook page, Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, and please tell us what you think. Now, we've been talking about putting on a great show in business and how to combine the qualities of your product or your service with delivering an entertaining and inspiring experience. For our quality of life segment, let's talk about leading up to the show, delivering your best performance, and then being happy when you take that bow. Whether you present in front of a live audience or you present one-on-one -on -one with your customers, your prospects, you'll never enjoy quality of life if your stomach is always in knots over your presentation or you're never satisfied at the end when you take that bow. Here are some tangible ways that uh, you can enjoy the show and put on the very best show you possibly can. Now, I remember years ago talking to a man after uh, my 10-minute presentation at a networking event, and I was there speaking on speed cleaning. You know, I own a cleaning service, and I do a lot of business consulting and training, but back in the early days of my business, I used to volunteer to, to speak uh, on cleaning. And this particular networking event was a 10-minute opportunity to talk all about the products that we use in my business and why. So basically, the professional tools of the trade 
and talk a little bit about speed cleaning and how we're able to deliver quality fast in our business. And a man came up after my presentation and he said, you know what, Debbie, I was kind of dreading your talk this morning because I was thinking cleaning. Oh boy, this is going to be boring. <laughs> and he said, I was actually captivated. He said, I hung on to every word. I was really interested. And now I kind of feel motivated to go home and clean my own house, something I've never felt like doing. And of course, I felt really good about that. And I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter what topic you're talking about, what you sell, what you're presenting. If you make it entertaining, if you make it interesting, if you can weave in some inspiration here or there, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you could be talking about cleaning pools or cleaning toilets. You can talk about, you know, financial planning or legal issues in your family or your business. It really doesn't matter. It's about your delivery. It is about the show you put on during your presentation. So here are some things that maybe I can share with you that I've learned over the years that will help you deliver that, that show-stopping presentation or experience, whether you're talking one-on-one -on -one or speaking to an audience. Well, first, of foremo first and foremost, I, I wrote down, be yourself. There's nothing more awkward than someone who is trying to present in an inauthentic way. That doesn't sell. You've got to be yourself. If you are quiet natured, don't try to step out of your comfort zone and be animated and loud. If that's just not your nature, be yourself. You know, I've heard speakers who were kind of quiet and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a dud, who were quiet and reserved, but delivered an amazing speech or an amazing presentation. I remember one time I had to attend, actually this has been more than one time, so I really shouldn't admit this on the air, but I had to attend uh, one of those driver's courses from when you get a ticket. Can't remember what those are called, but uh, you get a ticket and you're allowed to take the course. It's generally an eight hour course. And then it, you're able to have that expunged off your record and your insurance doesn't go up. So I was prepared to have the most boring day of my life spending eight hours listening to a driver's safety course. And the gentleman that got up was rather reserved, kind of professorial, looked like he'd fit right in at a university. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am in for the dullest ride of my life. And I knew I was paying dearly for that speeding ticket, but I wanted that expunged off my record and I didn't want it to count against me on insurance. He opened his mouth, and even though he was somewhat quiet and reserved, he was the most entertaining person I believe I've ever been around. For eight hours, he made the boring topic of driver safety the most interesting and humorous experience I, I ever thought I could experience. Of course, my expectations were low going in, so probably there was no place to go but up. But all the other students in the class, who I'm sure had the same level of dread that I had, were feeling and experiencing the same thing. We were laughing out loud. We were nodding our head in agreement. We weren't just sitting there with our eyes glazed over, you know, uh, being obligated to listen and write down our notes so that we could pass the test. It was actually an enjoyable day. I couldn't believe it, but all of a sudden it was noon and time to take a break and go and have lunch. And when we came back, 
I was amazed at how quickly the afternoon went and it was five o'clock and time to go home. Pass my test, was able to get that thing off my record and uh, any subsequent classes that I have had to take on that note were not nearly as entertaining, I will have to say. So be yourself. You don't have to change who you are, but sprinkle in within your expertise some entertainment, some inspiration. Be interesting while you're being yourself. And then tell your story. You know, 65% of your presentation should really include stories. There is nothing worse, whether it's 10 minutes or two hours. There's nothing worse than a presentation that is nothing but facts and figures and features and why you should use this and why you need this and why you should buy this and what we do and how we do it well. I mean, that is so boring and uninspiring. It doesn't change people's behavior. It really just makes them go off into daydream world and, and wonder when this is going to be over. So tell stories. Talk about how your product or service has made a difference in other people's lives. I mean, think about it. When you're selling maid service, what, what, what stories can you tell? And honestly, in maid service, there are stories that resonate with people when it comes to cleaning people's homes. What are we doing when we go in and clean their home? Are we just giving them a clean house? Not necessarily. You know what we're doing oftentimes? What is that story? We're preventing arguments on the weekends over the division of chores. We are preventing overwhelm for the busy, career-minded mom who feels guilty about all the time she has to spend at work, and now she's got to spend the weekends cleaning and running errands and doing all the things that she doesn't really want to do when she'd rather be spending time with her family. Learn to tell a story. And then speak about what you know. Confidence comes naturally when you're speaking on your expertise. When I stand up in front of a crowd and I can talk about cleaning, my confidence soars. Now, if you ask me to stand up and tell you how to structure a business plan or financial planning, I, I think I would panic. So when you speak about what you know, don't try to go off topic and speak about what you think people want to hear. Speak about your expertise. Speak about what you know is the answer, is the solution, the right method, the right way, and share your knowledge and your wisdom during your presentation. It's difficult to speak about what other people know. You can study, you can rehearse, but you're better off turning down the opportunity than to accept an opportunity to get in front of a group of people and not be able to just nail your topic. I remember a couple of years ago now, I was invited to speak at an internet marketers conference. And although I'm really comfortable speaking on marketing in general, I did not feel that my expertise matched this group who were there to learn more about e-commerce, retail, marketing and it wasn't my comfort zone. I mean, I can speak all day long to cleaning business owners and how to market their business and how to um, improve their internal operations, how to gain control over their runaway employee turnover. Those are things I'm very comfortable with and that's my expertise. But send me over to an internet retailers marketing conference and I'm like a fish out of water. Sometimes you really do need to say no thank you to a possible good opportunity that ends up 
falling flat because you could not deliver that show-stopping experience that you want to. And then, of course, this seems so basic, but we do need reminders. We have to be prepared and actually over-prepared. There is nothing like practice and preparation before you deliver that presentation. Have every possible question posed to you before the presentation so that you have a concise answer, so that your answers aren't long and convoluted and coming across as if you have no clue what you're talking about. Preparation is everything. When I speak at a conference, I might have a one-hour talk that I've worked 15 hours on because I want it right, I want it delivered well, I want my points and uh, talking points concise and clear. I don't want confusion. So I don't believe in over-preparation. You can't practice enough when you have a presentation that's important to you. But then, don't over-prepare. Don't get so heavy on the content that you run out of time. I've seen speakers come to a conference with a half a day's worth of content that they were supposed to deliver in 40 minutes. And what invariably happens is they get about two-thirds of the way through the presentation. They still have 75% of their content that hasn't even been delivered, and now they rush through the last few minutes of their presentation. If you over-prepare, if you have too much content, too much information for the time that's been allotted, the person will lose interest, your audience, whether it's a one-on-one presentation or you're speaking to a group of people, they will lose interest. So don't over-prepare on the content. Stick to the topic. Stick to what you know best. And then end up by giving. Stop trying to take. Stop trying to make your presentations all about what you need and what you want and how you need to close and when you need to close. End up by giving to the people you're presenting to what you can do for them, how you can solve their problems, how you can make their life better. And if you do that, you will have a show-stopping experience for the people you have the privilege of getting in front of. Now that wraps up our show today. Don't miss a single episode of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone. And be sure to follow us on Facebook for more insights, guest information, and tell us what you think. We'd love to hear your topic suggestions and your guest recommendations. Until next time, this is Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. For more information on cleaning up, visit us on Facebook and Twitter or at DebbieSardone.com.